You are cordially invited to the manor in the woods, where an evening of discussion is being held by the O'Brien siblings. Catherine, the encyclopedia, Carolyn, the bookworm, Madeline, the wild card, and Mackenzie, the eclectic. Join them in the study where there will be talk of murder, robbery, deception, and conveniently cloaked figures. So get cozy, pour yourself a cuppa, and join us for mostly murder. But sometimes not. Hello listeners, and welcome to a brand new episode of Mostly Murder But Sometimes Not, a podcast where myself and my three siblings talk about different mysteries and whodunits and sometimes things that don't really have a mystery at all. Um, <laughs> with me, I have my three siblings, starting with... Carrie. And Maddie. And I'm Mac. All right. And today we watched the 1984 or 1985 film Blood Simple. It was the first Coen Brothers movie. I'll have a little bit more to say on that. But we are going... I'm just going to start straight up with the summary. Um, It's branded as a thriller slash crime. I don't know if it's necessarily a crime movie in the way that a lot of Coen Brothers movies don't really fit any genre, necessarily. But I guess there's kind of crime involved. Anyway, so, in the movie, you have very little characters. Abby and Marty are a married couple, and Marty owns... Well, his name is Julian, but everyone calls him Marty. And Marty owns a bar, but Abby is cheating on Marty with Ray, who's a guy who works at the bar. Um... Marty and Abby's marriage is not great. You kind of establish that in the very beginning of the movie. So Marty hires a PI to find out who exactly his wife is sleeping with. Um, when he, So the PI provides him with pictures of Ray and Abby together. And then Marty tries to kind of break in and kind of threaten her, but she kicks him in the balls, which is awesome. And then he kind of runs away with his tail and his balls in between his legs. <laughs> Um, <laughs> then he goes back to the PI and he hires the PI to kill both Ray and Abby. So the PI breaks into Ray's house. He steals Abby's gun, but then he, um, basically fakes the killing of Ray and Abby. He presents the faked photos to Marty. Then Marty opens his safe in the bar gives the P.I. the money, and then the P.I. kills Marty, kills, quote-unquote, with Abby's gun, and then he takes the money. Ray, who had, at this point had been fired by Marty, because Marty was like, "You dude, you're sleeping with my wife. Get out of here. Ray didn't get his past two weeks' pay, so he breaks into the bar, but he finds Marty, the dead body, and he thinks Abby did it because he finds her gun. So he cleans up the crime scene, puts Marty in his car, but then he hear when he's driving down this really dark highway, he hears motion, and then he realizes Marty is still alive. So then there's a very tense scene where he's kind of taking Marty's kind of crawling along the road. He eventually like grabs Marty, tries to bury he does bury him alive in a field, um, and it's pretty crazy. Then. Ray and Abby have a weird fight, because then Ray thinks Abby killed her husband, 
and Abby eventually thinks that Ray killed him because he says he buried him alive, even though they're both not communicating correctly. Meanwhile, the the P.I. realizes he can't find his lighter. It's like a big thing with him. So he breaks into the bar, but then Abby walks in and kind of catches him, so he hides. And she sees that there's been a break-in. So she tells Ray. Ray goes to the bar, and he knows the combo to the safe. So he opens the safe, and he finds out a photo that Marty had snuck in there that was the doctored photo of Ray and Abby dead. So he's like, oh, this isn't good. Like, Marty maybe thought we were dead and maybe something else is going on. He notices the P.I.'s distinctive car, which is a VW bug. So then he goes back to Abby's and he's like, and I think he was a Vietnam vet that he mentions being in the army. So I think he kind of senses, like, something's going on. He tells her to turn off the lights. She doesn't. And then the P.I. shoots him through the window and kills him with a sniper rifle. And then she turns off the lights, and then there's a very tense scene where the P.I. breaks into her apartment. Um, She kind of traps him in the bathroom because he's reaching. It's like a whole thing. But then eventually she has her gun that had been cleaned up from the crime scene, quote unquote, and had one bullet left. And of course, she didn't have a missed shot. She, meanwhile, had thought the P.I. was Marty. And so when the guy, like, comes in front of the bath, she trapped in the bathroom, he gets himself free. He walks into front of the door, and without the door even opening, she shoots him. And then she kind of shouts about Marty. And then he, the last line is basically him, like, I'll be sure to tell him whatever you said when I see him. And then the movie ends. So that's it. Um, a lot of just drama. Yeah, not a lot of mystery. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was ever confused as to who did anything. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't really... Well, okay, so... Here's some facts about the movie. It came out... So the Coen brothers... Um, if you don't know, I guess. You've never heard of them. They're a brother, writer, director, producer, team. And this is their first movie. And they were friends with Sam Raimi whose first movie was The Evil Dead, and they kind of followed Sam Raimi's, like, way of financing stuff. So when Sam Raimi made The Evil Dead, he basically made a trailer and shopped it around to investors. Instead of, like, going, hey, can I show up and just tell you about a movie for ten minutes? And people are like, no. The Coen brothers made a trailer, using Bruce Campbell, actually, as Marty in the trailer part. What? And used a lot of, yeah. Why didn't they keep Bruce Campbell? I think he was doing something else. I don't they know. could have had Ash from Evil Dead as the star of this thing. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, he might have been too expensive at this point, really. I feel like, like he would also be too, like, not a- hateable enough. I mean, he he can probably pull that off. But also back then, maybe he was too recognizable. Like, everyone in this movie, I think the guy who played the P.I., um, hey. M. Emmett Walsh was. Y'all, y'all yes, want to know who that guy was? I, I want to talk. I, I want to tell him. Okay, fine. He's the night guardsman from Knives Out. The one who is like all these crazy technologies, you know. Who? I did. Remember him? Not know that. The guy who gave them the VCR? Yes. The Knives Out? The VHS. The VHS. Oh, the PI was? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. I thought you meant Marty for a second. I was like, what? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that I would have remembered. Like him. 
I don't know. He's a very distinct guy. I I looked into his uh, IMDb just to try to figure out where the hell else I've heard him before, and apparently it is the crazy old fisherman from Iron Giant. Oh. I thought you were gonna say I looked into his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he did have a little bit weird eyes. eyes. They're very yeah. Funny. I wanted to I wanted to play a game with Carrie because I wanted to be like, what of these characters was also in Knives Out? But whatever. Oh, I'm sorry. I got really excited. It's fine. What else is Bruce Campbell in? So many things. Evil Dead, basically every Sam Raimi project. Um, Who Um, is he in Spider-Man? In the first Spider-Man, he is the announcer in the ring. In the second Spider-Man, he is the, uh, the, like, the The person that allows people... Yes, he's the usher. And in the third Spider-Man... In a theater. What was he in the third Spider-Man? Mac, you're not Epic a nerd fail. Fan. No, he was a he was the French. What was it called? The person that like it's not a waiter. He's the, the person d? at the front desk. He was a French maitre d. Sommelier. Um. Also, he was in the second to last episode of Psych as like the Dream Weaver dude. Great song. Yep. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, they shopped the film by using a trailer, which included a lot of imagery from the actual movie that ended up in there. Um, it was kind of called one of the, f- by ma- mainly male white film people, it was called kind of the f- first true indie movie in that sense of like, a bunch of people who went to film school after seeing Spielberg movies and stuff like that. Interesting. But, so this is kind of what kicked off a lot of the 80s and 90s indie film genres. Um, it did end up winning the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance, which is kind of crazy, and it has 94% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Um, the Coen brothers, because it was their first movie, they chose to do this kind of noir because they realized it was kind of the cheapest way to go about it. They didn't need a ton of characters. It was practical. Like, the noir genre can be played around with a lot. There isn't a ton of special effects that they had to pay for. They wanted to keep it cheap and easy, and pretty much every investor got their money back and then some, because it didn't do great in theaters at first, but then it became, like, it was, like, moderate, and then it became, like, a big thing. That's also why they're not sure if it came out in 84 or 85, because I think it was released in theaters in January of 85, but it was at festivals the year before. Gotcha. So, I was wondering why there was that confusion. Yeah, because when I on Wikipedia it says eighty four, but when you rent it like through YouTube or whatever, it says eighty five. So it's kind of both. It's whatever. You so want that's to kind do. of where the movie came from. My question to you guys is: You, we've all seen something of the Coen Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Never this though. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I'm 10% sure I've seen this movie. <laughs> like, in it's college, I know, but in college, I went, I rented a couple different Coen Brothers films all at once because I was like trying to be cool or whatever. Yes. I was like reading Empire Magazine. I was being me. Well, that's what you everyone does in college. You experiment I with identities. Yeah, I watched Citizen Kane by myself, this three-hour-long-ass movie Mm. that admittedly was pretty good, but also, like, whatever. Wait, which one? Maybe not the Citizen Kane. Oh, okay. 
Wow. I don't know if it's the best movie ever made of all time, but... Um, I already know the so, thing that happens in Citizen Kane, so I can never I watch it with fresh eyes. <laughs> yeah. I know I did too. But I had only seen Lebowski in college, and so I think I rented Fargo, and I know I rented The Hudsucker Proxy. I think I rented Barton Fink. And I think I rented this movie, because I remember whatever Coen Brothers movie I watched then had a lot of ceiling fan imagery and a lot of playing with shadows and light and that interplay. But I don't remember any of the rest of this film. (laughs) So I either watched a different movie with a bunch of fans and light imagery, or I watched this and somehow only retained that part of it. (laughs) I mean, how long ago was college for you, Katie? Ten years? I know. No. To be fair, we are our father's children, so it's entirely possible we fell asleep in the middle of it. (laughs) Well, no, I think I think I watched it my freshman year, so that would have been like 2005. Six, maybe. Fifteen years! (laughs) But anyway, so we're all familiar with the Coen brothers, so my first... I guess my first question is, did you guys like the movie and do you think the fact that you knew how they operated and how they made movies like influenced your opinion of it i was intrigued because i looked it up and that they received a lot of inspiration not only from like cheap movies in the like 70s and 80s but also cheap horror movies Because I did see that they had a lot of the same kind of, like, framing that they would use in horror movies where it's, like, it's all grainy and a little too squared away, but it's still suspenseful. Like, being able to see people in the apartment from the perspective of the sniper or being... I was told that there were two particular scenes where they took a lot of inspiration from horror movies and also where they, uh, like, those were two of the scenes that they showed... The first one was somebody crawling away from the car, which was, you know, when Marty wasn't quite dead. And the second one was the scene when the killer, the private detective, had his hand pinned to that window and he had to start shooting through the wall to free his hand. But you could see light coming through every single bullet hole. That was one of the the uh, like the scenes from the trailer that they used to try to convince people to finance this movie. And like... You could see how there was a lot of this stuff connected to old horror movies. The one moment to me that emblemate that was the most emblematic of old horror movies was when she stabbed his hand because you could see. Okay, you couldn't actually see the blood effects, but you, I, I don't know. You, there were some. I mean, it, there, the glove was bloody around the knife. There was like no, blood I mean, underneath it. You him. couldn't see the squib or anything. Like oh, it was no. realistic enough. I will grant them that. They, whoever. Whoever was behind the, the blood effects? Yeah, you mean the practical effects. You couldn't see how they were done. Exactly. Which is more of like a trope of the older, cheaper horror movies that you're talking about, right? Yes. I actually read that they deliberately used some exact camera framing that Sam Raimi did for Evil Dead. Like, nice. The cool shot of the, of the barfly... When the he's like on the bar and it like skips over the bar fly and it uses this wide angle to like zoom in on Maurice and that girl, mm-hmm. that directly from Evil Dead, and then also the kind of shaky camera moves when Marty first like breaks in and kind of tries to attack her. Ugh. It's directly from the Evil Dead. 
I hated that so much. But how great was it when she kicked him in the balls? So one of my That was one of the first representations of getting kicked in the balls in a movie that I thought was realistic. Because every... Well, okay, that too. (laughs) But mostly because a lot of action movies nowadays, sometimes the hero would get kicked in the balls and he's back up in like 10 seconds. That's not my experience. The one time I got kicked in the balls, it was an accident during gym class. I was out for a half hour. Okay. (laughs) When was that? Um, actually, so, it wasn't, it wasn't kick. It was a soccer ball, full speed, and I was the goalie. (laughs) Oh, no! Yeah, it was bad. (laughs) Did you barf? That's, uh... I didn't barf, but I definitely couldn't walk. Oh, I'm so sorry, buddy. Wasn't embarrassing. Sorry. No, here's the thing. It wasn't <laughs> embarrassing, but people were like, five minutes later, like, come on, get up, walk it off. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I got like I a 30-mile-per-hour soccer ball to the groin. I can, I can, I can groan as much as I want, sir. <laughs> Did they give you ice? No. Oh. Just told me to brush it off. Man. Yeah. Was this in high school? Yes. Okay. Who's your gym teacher? I'm. Stop saying people's names. She yeah, said one should, name. We should bleep that out. Um, I'll just it was delete the it. The teacher that looked like a vampire, and we all know who that is, and we don't need to elaborate. I don't think we know who that is. I have no I idea who that is. Maddie knows who he is. She can talk to you about it later. Anyway, so this I movie, can bleep huh, guys? Things. Well, yeah. Okay, so my question then: the Coen Brothers movies. Like I said, don't necessarily fit a genre. They, and they do movie their movies are so different from each other. Like and some of them I do like and some of them I don't really. And some of them I like in spite of everyone else. Like I love Hail Caesar. I know a lot of people didn't, but I they, loved it. They bounce around genres a lot cuz Hail Caesar I view as more of a comedy of errors versus versus just uh like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which I just see as sort of like a modern day epic. So they I guess um, okay, so I watched this YouTube video that was like, how do you know if it's a Coen Brothers movie and it's all this kind of stuff? But one of them that I never really thought about was that a lot of the main characters are their own destruction, and a lot of the things that happen are due to chance, and it's like, they're so intricate in their storytelling, and their, like, Coen-ness, and placing the narrative structure of their movies, like... Which you can already see in this one, because we're, we are shown as an audience so many things that we have to, like, that we know that we can put together and which what is what drives up the tension. Like the fact that the gun only has three bullets. Like the fact that Marty's pointer finger is broken, and so you're like, he has to use a different, weaker finger to pull the trigger. Like the fact that, like, you know, like, stuff like that. Like the fact that you see the lighter under the fish. And so it's quite literally, like, hidden by a herring. Like, the red herring is what gets him to go there and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> which happens in all of their movies, which I, I never really... the fish are supposed to be a red herring. I know, I but I thought so it was I either. I was going to say, that's a little... On the nose. That's a reach. That's a stretch, yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's something I just never thought about. But they are very intricate in their storytelling. And they come up with very, very distinct characters. Like... 
they use a lot of narration, which is very Cohen. Like this movie starts straight up with narration. Narration? Narration. narration? Or like, dialogue. It started with the narrator. Well, I guess not really a narrator, but it started with dialogue the from the PI just kind of saying stuff about Texas and how you're on your own and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do use a lot of stuff like that, though, in their storytelling. On your own is a good description, because there was not a single cop in this movie and at least two shootings. There are so many things that I was just like, just call the damn police. Like, don't try to do this on your own. Can we talk about the rationale of a lot of this? Like the rationale of uh, Ray and how it is non-existent? Uh, yeah, like how he's trying to wipe up the blood with his shirt! Yeah. Yeah. And then he drives, okay, the moment you see the incinerator, I was like, oh, somebody's getting burned in that. And then no one gets burned in it! I thought that his was His shirt gets burned in it. He drove right by it, he threw his windbreaker and the cow- towel in there. I mean, I don't think he was thinking clearly at that point. Like, you walk into a scene like that, and then you think that somebody that you love was responsible. I don't think your brain exactly follows logical steps there. However, well, clearly. If, he, if he had thrown Marty into the incinerator, that would have been a much more traumatic scene. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, the, one of the things that um, they talked about, when I, or that I learned, was Blood Simple comes from a book. And it literally means, like, the total dumbness of someone that happens after they kill someone or after something super violent happens, and they just kind of spiral and they're not thinking clearly. Like, that's literally this whole movie. It's like something. Like, so you turn blood simple. Like, blood has been shed, and then you're, like, freaking out and spiraling, and then... Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes okay. sense. Okay. I figured that out, because it's- they talk... They use that phrase a couple times. The um, the PI says that, you know, he's money simple or whatever. And then there was yeah. another type of simple that he said, which basically was like, you're not smart about it, which I don't like that phrase, but whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I, I figured that out. I, I didn't. What were you going to say? I now? didn't know until I read about it. No, I mean, Blood Simple would explain so many horror movie decisions just because <laughs> yeah. people in horror movies are idiots. And I Coen Brothers, that. like, when we first watched the first episode of Fargo, the stuff that Martin Freeman's character did after he snapped and hit his wife, like, yeah. all of that. Yeah, like, I guess. It's just dumb decision after dumb decision. Yep. I guess you have to be kind of stupid to kill your wife with a hammer and then immediately run headfirst into a wall. You have to be really blood simple for that to happen. Right. But <laughs> um I did think yeah, I thought it was interesting that a lot of Cohen brothers that have crimes in them, they definitely have police presence and this movie has literally nothing. None. Yeah, it is interesting. In uh I mean in Fargo the movie, Francis McDormand is the police. Right. And is a good person, like a good yes. police. Like, not they're, corrupt or anything. They're being police. pursued by the police, yeah, in, in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And there's definitely police at the end of uh, Hail Caesar. And it was It's interesting <sighs> for them not to have been included in this. I'd like to know if there was, like, a rationale behind that. I Maybe think it's, it's partly the, thing. the noir thing, too. Maybe. And also, like, 
I mean, if Ray thought that Abby did it, he might have been shocked and went blood simple, but he's trying to clean up after her, because I think, I think he genuinely loves her. I'm not sure if she, gen- I think she genuinely loves him, so like. Yeah. I believe they both love each other. And he I was just trying that. to do the best thing he could. I mean, the only person that says that she doesn't love him is Marty, and I think he's a little biased. <laughs> I think, I don't know, Ray, I thought Ray was a really interesting character because he's definitely sleeping with his boss's wife, which is not good, and he tries to clean up after the murder. I don't think that their affair started until we saw them, like that first night. Which really? is why I'm like, I don't think they love each other, because they were just... He was giving her a ride, it, and yeah. he's like, I like you, yeah. and she's like, oh. And I like he's you, too. like, I like you. And Motel? Yeah, and they're like, <laughs> let's bang. But maybe they you. were kind of felt something for each other this whole time, and it wasn't until they finally had the conversation about her marriage that it went any further than just, like, flirting. Yeah, I mean, there are different types of love. Like... I do believe that he loved her in the way that he could. But, okay, so my point was, so he definitely did bad things, but one of the first times you see him, he has the best dog etiquette I've seen of almost any movie. Yes, it was the best. He holds out his hand, he lets the dog smell him, and the dog likes him, and I was like, that means he's a good guy, you guys. Yes. Like, the dog has, the dog knows. But the dog also liked Marty. Yeah, I was gonna say, that dog is not very (laughs) discerning. But then maybe that's why... So it was a dog. Like, Ray is not good. Which, by the way, did you guys think that Ray looked kind of like a sexier John Ritter? That did not cross my mind once. (laughs) Not to say that John Ritter wasn't sexy in this time, but when I was watching it, I was like... (laughs) (laughs) If you put John Ritter on the cover of, like, an 80s romance novel, it would look like this guy. He's got some more masculine attributes. Like, he's a little bit taller, shoulders are a little bit wider... Yeah. Craggier in the face a little bit. But you definitely have that vibe. Yeah. Do you think there was a point to Marty being Greek? No. No. I think it was just like the actor maybe was Greek. I don't know if he is. But, yeah. Maybe he's, it was just that and then they decided to um, put in that put it kind of Greek, I'm going to cut your head off little <laughs> little thing. He's very her suit. He's I love that actor so much, and he always is playing jerks most of the time. Even he when he's playing well. Cher's dad in Clueless, he's definitely a jerk to a lot of people. <laughs> Even if he's the bad guy in the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. I mean exactly. Yeah, not, not touching that. That was that was my that was that was my pull. Not touching that at all. But I do think I like you immediately establish that these char- like the characters definitely have a look to them. Obviously, the PI is the most obvious. Like with the he's got he has a hat. VW Bug and he's a cowboy and he's always sweaty and there's always flies around him, which is gross. Super is gross. gross. And Julian has like a cool pinky ring that you see the one time or Marty. I mean, yeah, that looks like a horseshoe. Mm-hmm. But Very even, like, Texas. Maurice, when you first see him, is wearing like a sweat suit. Like, and the converse. And the converse. And the converse. And that you see him climb over the bar. Like, that's such a cool move. Mm-hmm. Like, their, their, their choices for characters are so distinct. And I do know the Coens, like, storyboard everything. Sometimes to the annoyance of the actors. 
I guess the actor playing the PI in this one time was saying, like, they just kept telling me to look this way. And I was like, why is my character looking over there when the action's over there? And the real reason was because that's the way they had storyboarded it, but they had never worked with actors before. So they were just like, it's just like where you're supposed to, like, where you look. Like, they couldn't explain to him, like, the vision they had in their brain. Interesting. And, like, make him. Yeah. This movie, you guys, everyone on it was brand new. Like, I was reading an article, like, 15 weird things on, like, on Mental Floss about Blood Simple. Like, they didn't know how to turn on the movie cameras. <laughs> Literally, they had to, like, ask someone, like, where the on button was. Like, wow. everyone on this set was new and didn't understand. Like, was this most like, of the, the so, first time, like, Frances McDormand was in something? Yeah, this is her first movie. And the reason, she ended up marrying one of the brothers. I think Joel, but I'm not sure. Because this is her first movie, and the reason she got it is because they wanted Holly Hunter. And they called Holly Hunter, and she was, like, busy doing a play. So she recommended her roommate, Frances McDormand. Oh, my God. <laughs> which is bananas. But then she was bored because they were shooting for eight weeks in Texas, and she'd only brought one book. <laughs> so the brother, like, lent her a couple books, and she read one and loved it. I think it was one of the Raymond Chandler novels. I think <gasps> the something, not the one we're going to read at some point, maybe. Interesting. <laughs> but a different one. And then he, she invited him to her place, and they talked about it. And they literally had a couple book dates, and she said that's the way to really connect with someone is across the room from each other and not touching or something like that. Like oh. she was like, he seduced me with literature, and it was great. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is my dream. Right. But yeah, so this is her first movie, and it's where she kind of met her. I don't know if they're still together. I didn't look that up. She yeah. did a very good job in this too. Like. I didn't oh realize God. it was her at first because obviously you only see like her silhouette, but she and just she's so young. She's so pretty and she just looks so fresh. It's interesting. Yeah. And she said she specifically went understated because she was like she didn't want to be theatrical, which I really really appreciated. Like she felt real a lot. Yes. Like, in an actual fight, you'd go for the balls. Yeah. Yeah. Finally. And the, even at the end, when she's, like, trying to figure, like, when she stabs him in the hand, and and then, like, walks away, like, you can tell, like, this is, like, sh like it affected her. Yeah, it's not, like, the bravado you see in a lot of movies like this. Yeah. And the know. whole... The whole final battle, you know that she thinks that that's Marty the entire time. The only time she stops is when she... Well, yeah, she, she in the room, when she shoots through the bathroom door and actually kills the private investigator, she says, you can't hurt me anymore, Marty. And then the private investigator's like, <laughs> well, I'll tell him if I see him. Well, well that was the first time. She didn't know... Like, we don't... Carrie didn't know that Frances McDormand thought it was him the whole time until the very end when she s said that, you know? Yeah. I didn't realize she thought that the guy attacking them was Marty. Yeah. I didn't either, actually, I, didn't either. I think because Ray doesn't make it totally clear, and when, she, when he said he buried him alive, maybe she thought, like, he didn't bury him well, which, let's be honest, he didn't. No, he did Very not. shallow. Um, but, and his tire tracks went directly out there in that cool shot. 
<laughs> I was thinking about that yes. when it was happening. I was like, what if this was an episode of It's Alive? Not It's Alive. <laughs> Shit. I, I mean, survived. I survived. <laughs> I survived. It's alive. Like, people check on crops. Especially well, okay. when people drive through them. You guys, this is what I want to talk about. So, Abby shoots some random guy she doesn't really know. Maybe she recognizes him from being with Marty's, like, associates or whatever, but maybe she doesn't. So what clues are left behind for the police to really pick up on what happened? Well, all of the blood that uh, Ray drags around the office, and then... No, but presumably he cleaned it all up. But I don't he didn't think clean he, up the he stuff in the back like, of his water, car. And I was thinking, if this was 1985, did they have... Um, like black lights or like whatever UV light. I think yeah, I think they did so. that. DNA blood. testing started in the seventies. Yeah, so it'd be pretty easy to see that there's blood everywhere there. <laughs> so okay, just at the apartment complex, I'm trying to think. They'd have the dead body in the bathroom, his blood on a windowsill next door, bullet holes in the wall in the bathroom, bullet hole in the door of the bathroom. You've got a young woman with the testimony that somebody broke into her apartment. And You've got a dead someone. body in the and living shot, room. Yeah, through the window. So there's probably his sniper rifle somewhere. Right. There's so there's that up there. Then there's picture. Ray's car parked outside with her ex-husband's blood in the back seat. The car's a big one. He yeah. was shot by her gun. I don't know, like, if they have ballistics testing in '85. Probably. Yeah, I'm sure they do. And then I think the have, only thing um, they don't really have is DNA necessarily and then i think some of the stuff that's new is like the bite mark and fiber analysis and there's I'm sure they have so all the track. stuff we've just recently debunked there's the lighter in the office there's he left a cigarette butt there as well yeah there's a uh, photo yeah. of there's the tracks the there's the body dead. there's uh so they're gonna find marty's body and then they're gonna find the tracks and then they're gonna run it through something and figure out it was Ray's car. There's By probably the way, evidence at the PI's house. Did anybody immediately call that uh, the PI didn't actually do the assassination when they counted more than three bullets on the bodies? I thought that. Because uh, yeah, he had I her gun. He wasn't dead, or they didn't die. Yeah, same, but not yeah. because of number of bullet holes. Yeah, no, that was. I didn't think that was why, but I didn't think that he actually killed them. No. Did you guys think that Marty was dead? Yes. Ah! Because yeah. I was like, is that like a man groan or like a body groan? I felt, I mean, he kept bleeding and that was interesting to me. What's a body groan, Maddie? Just after a body is dead, it can still release gases. So it goes, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh. like that. Uh. I don't like I it. I didn't think he was alive until you heard. I had those subtitles on, and it said moaning, mm. and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and then, like, okay, so that whole scene is apparently famous in film because there's 20 minutes basically of almost, like no dialogue it of was Ray and no finding the body of Maurice, kind of coming in with his girlfriend lady and playing like Motown. And then all of that cleaning, and then moving the body. Like, that's all 
no dialogue. Even, like, scraping... One of the th- shots in the trailer that sold this movie was the scraping of the shovel to the body crawling along the highway. Like, that Yeah, that's thing. pretty iconic. Yeah. Not necessarily in this film. Like, I didn't realize that this was kind of a standout of that type of shot, but, like, that's a... Um... It does feel like you've seen it before yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's like a frequently used type of ominous sound, you know, mm-hmm. the shovel dragging yeah. towards it's, the body. It's the hook on the car side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, car, hook, hand, door. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, There was a lot of moments where I wanted to shout at the screen. Yeah. Just like, the entire, like, Ray leaving evidence everywhere. Stop oh, and then touching the murder shirt. weapon. Yeah, he has his shirt that's covered in blood. Yes. Like, he touches her face with, like, the dirt from her husband's grave on it. And just... So much. a lot of times. And also things like when you're like, why are you burying him alive? He's got the gun in his pocket. Like, things you're trying to remember about. Yeah. Like... So... Ugh. And you did drive directly into that field. You didn't, like, carry the body there. Yeah. Because so I, I need to, I need to emphasize, people do check on crops when you drive through them. I don't think he was thinking they didn't. I think he was just like, "Ooh, fresh dirt." I don't think he was thinking that at all. I don't think he was really thinking anything. Yeah, I think he was blood simple. No, there you go. I hate you. Okay. Um, it was. Very, it was very frustrating that they just didn't say what they meant. Like when Ray and Abby were talking, and she's like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "I took care of everything. It's not important. Like, use your words, communicate. <laughs> you can say the things like, "I know you shot your husband," and then she can be like, "Um, excuse me, I did not." <laughs> like, just <laughs> your words. So- one of the things in that vi- YouTube video I watched talked about how a lot of Coen Brothers movies have shenanigans due to miscommunication. And so a lot of much. people believing the opposite, which is definitely apparent in this film a lot. Yeah, It kind of reminded me of um, some of the, uh, the seasons of Supernatural when, Katie, you would get really frustrated. You're just like, just tell each other the truth! The first five <laughs> seasons are obviously great, but also like they keep t- keeping secrets from each other, and I'm like, just freaking say what you mean. It's the because- secrets that get you. It's the secrets. I saw more <laughs> of a, a parallel between this and Great Gatsby with the whole, like, car switching thing versus, like, her gun keeps moving around. Oh. Oh. Interesting. I, yeah, I would not put that together, but that makes sense. Yeah, the yeah. gun, I feel like the gun was s- such a source of tension. tension. It's like, Taking Chekhov's gun theory and turning it up to 11. Okay, what is Chekhov's gun theory? You can't just say things like that and be like, Didn't we? Oh, everyone knows what Chekhov's gun theory is. Didn't we talk about this before? No. Can I get this one? In a different episode? Yeah, Matt, go ahead. Alright, so Chekhov's gun is a sort of uh, narrative idea that if you show a gun in the first act, it must go off by the end of act two. So it's like, if you present something that has a potential for, like, something... And it doesn't happen, 
then people get frustrated. It's, it's those it, scenes where somebody's got like a bag and they're like, hey, check out what's in my bag. And it's a fucking stick of dynamite. You know it's going to blow up before the end of the movie. It's the incinerator in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. Except with this. To get they, burned up and they didn't. Yes, exactly. It's check off like the that's the thing. Check off. And gun, it's not always they a gun. Shoot it. Sometimes yeah. it can okay. be like the Thanks coin from X Men First Class. Educating us simpletons. <laughs> yes. So then you see the gun. So not only is there a gun, but it has three bullets, and you're very. It's made. It's pointed out specifically that she puts three bullets in there. Mm-hmm. So then, when you know that there's one bullet left, and Marty is shooting it at Ray, you're oh, like yeah. tense. And he's literally reaching for the gun, like, frickin', what is that, the Sistine Chapel? Oh. <laughs> like, God reaching towards man or whatever. Yeah. A little more violently, but yeah. I mean. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. Okay, so the three bullets were the one that killed Marty. Well, sorry, the one that shot Marty. Uh, the one where Ray kicks it across the bar. Mm-hmm. Was that a bullet? Was that a shot? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a shot. And then uh, the one that actually kills the private investigator. Does he die? I mean, yeah. I think he died. Yeah. Yeah. I'm they kind of showed the light leave his eyes a little. I'm just saying they don't establish the fact that he's dead. And we thought that it. Marty was dead. I feel like the final shot, I don't know, it has some finality to it. It was him underneath the sink with a droplet of water coming down at him. What does that even mean? Yeah. It's like yeah, it's the little... old Irish folk tales with like the dripping water means somebody's dead or someone's gonna die or something. Well, what is that a thing? That's a thing. Hell yeah! Wow, oh. Chekhov's gun theory, guys. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> say everybody should know it. I'm just excited to demonstrate that I know things. I know. No, I'm. That's that's just it. It's like a folk tale that if you hear water dripping, it's somebody dying. I don't know. It's the end of a it life. Death. Interesting. Somewhat, some, kind of like the Banshee for the O'Brien family. Yeah. What? The um the sound design was interesting in this movie as well. There was a lot of the recurrence of that theme with Ray and Abby. And then yes. when there were those tense moments of, like you said, that 20 minute interval with the... um When Ray is moving the body, like you hear the Motown a little bit, but then like when... They're on the road, and Marty's, like, crawling away, and then the truck is coming, and then he tries to bury him and then buries him alive. There's no music. It's just the incidental noises. And then in the end, when it's um, the private investigator versus Abby, again, there's no music. It's just the noise around them. That reminds me of that episode of Buffy. Hush? Silence? The body. Oh, the body. Yeah. Oh, the body. Yeah. Well, there's no music. That's such a good, impactful. Yes. Raw. So it means so the Cohen brothers we've established. I think I think we all know, but I'll let everyone else know who's listening <laughs> that they use music and score very particularly, like they do everything. So the Motown on this is on purpose. The like music, the Mexican ambient like music in her apartment building is on purpose. Um, and the lack of music sometimes is the composer is Carter Burwell, who oh. has done a bunch of Coen Brothers movies and 
And Twilight. And Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why do I know that? And then I was like, oh. And then I really wish that I hadn't. Like, I was waiting to see who would, I... who you know, would respond. When you think about it, the first Twilight <laughs> movie is kind of like a mer- uh, mystery movie. So if we could just Ooh. add that to the list. I guess that's so about as much of a mystery movie as this. Can we talk about <laughs> know. that? How yeah. did it get on the list? Well, okay. Katie, <laughs> did we you just want to do a Cohen movie? No, because if I had picked a Cohen movie, honestly, Lebowski's more of a mystery because he's just trying to figure out where his rug went, man. <laughs> and then all this other shenanigans happen. Um, yeah, who did put this on the list? I think I did because I was probably looking at a list of noir movies and this is credited as a thriller crime noir. Literally, it's like, that's the genre. But I think that's partly because what we talked about, these movies are really hard to put in a box, mm-hmm. which is why creative people love Coen Brothers movies and marketing people do not. <laughs> because it's like, how do you market even this movie? It's a thriller. It's a suspense. There's comedy moments. They didn't really understand black comedy as much at this time. It was like, and especially in the 80s when they're really trying to bring people into movie theaters and food courts and all that nonsense. Like, mm-hmm. They can't figure out how to market this. So I think they marketed it as a noir and there's definitely crime, but <laughs> the investigation isn't really an investigation. Ray just assumes Abby did it and then they like miscommunicate. You know, bridging off of the horror themes of this movie, I'm wondering whether we could start looking into the horror genre for a lot more whodunits. Because I know no. the entire Scream series <laughs> is a series of whodunits. No. Actually, yeah. No. If you guys want to spin off your own podcast, one. you're welcome to do that. I'm not into it. Oh, well, we'll do so poorly movies, then, but... Carrie. No, it would be in the same podcast because that is more of a mystery than this. Our rule, though, is something happens and someone investigates it. And I know this movie didn't really fit that, but I didn't know that ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. I'm not... And crime definitely happens. Yes. And there's a lot of tension in terms of where the audience knows things the characters don't. But... We have a lot of stuff on our list that we haven't approached yet, so... <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I said, if you want to do a horror podcast yourself... We can add screen. We can add the first one. No. What about Happy Death Day? No. No. That one's a whodunit. <laughs> like they were just shooting you down. I don't like no. horror movies. I don't love them either, Mac. All right. I have They're seen. What cool, did I see? Mac. I have seen the Babadook. That was good. Were you Baba Shook? That together, actually. We got Baba Shook. <laughs> um. Okay. I think that was a lot of the talking points I had. Did you guys like it? Did you like the movie? It was a good movie. It was solid. It was a good movie. It wasn't my type of movie. Now, do you think, though, like, going in ahead of time knowing it was a Coen Brothers movie, you kind of know what to expect? No. If you hadn't known no. that, do you think? A little bit. I haven't studied Coen early... Brothers movies. I've seen, like, two. And I think that sometimes early Coen, like... Somebody's early work is not necessarily indicative of who they are. Sometimes they're still finding themselves. I find Sam Raimi to be a genius with a lot of his later work, but I probably could not have predicted just from watching Spider-Man what would have happened in Evil Dead. 
There's, yeah. yeah, there were a lot of elements throughout the movie that I kind of, like, you can see the parallels in other Cohen properties, but um, I, I'm not familiar enough with their other works to be able to predict things that happen. I mean, I've only seen, like, seven or eight of their other movies. Only seven or eight. But well, there's, like, I don't know, 15 or 16? 17? I think I've seen maybe three. And they definitely switch genres. Like, True Grit is, like, totally different than Old Brother or whatever. Like, Oh, yeah. Remember when they redid True Grit? No. I haven't seen yeah. that one. I went and took Mom to see it because she liked the original. It had John and Wayne in it, didn't it? The original did, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. And this one did had Jeff like Bridges. She actually did like it, but she liked the John Wayne version better. Yes. Abby. She's got the Duke. Um, so I want to talk about how bad the PI is. At oh, his is job or just as a human? As, as a person. person. Yes. He sucks. He, like, he creeps on Ray and of... Abby. Just watches them. And takes pictures. And yeah, then I mean, he just yeah. like just sits there and watches them, and it, yeah. yeah, he goes above and beyond like the PI thing where you're just like, oh, I gotta get a couple snaps and then I'm done. He's like, no, and I'm gonna get a couple snaps and then watch them. Called it what a fringe benefit. Ugh. Did you guys get the sense that Marty didn't even hire him that first time? Like no. he just showed up with pictures of Marty's wife sleeping with someone. No. Although I guess he did say that really racist thing right after that. So maybe he did hire him. Mm. Yeah. I think yeah. it was. I think he did hire him. Um but also he hangs out at like a kids like hangout whatever yeah. makeout spot. He's a huge yeah. creep. And then He's a is bunch talking of to like a teenage 15 year old. Yeah, because he because she thought he had drugs, and he was like, oh, I'm just going to make you stay here and talk to me like a huge creep. And then he had that stupid rearview mirror Nipple ornament thing. light up doll. <sighs> I hate him. That doll looked like a child, and I didn't like that its boobs lit up. Yeah, that was bad. That was a bad thing. Everything was bad. By the way, did anybody, uh, when you saw Marty paying him to kill uh, his wife and lover... Did anybody else get Tiger King vibes? No. No. I did. The money thing was interesting, though, because in the Tiger King, it's supposed to be like $3,000 or something like that. Um, the guy accepted 3000 He I was supposed to have been paid 5000 yet, you guys. Yeah, you guys. I haven't watched Tiger King yet. You get the gist. Whatever. <laughs> so, but in this, he offers the PI $10,000 to kill two people, which in... 2020 is almost $24,000. Thank you for looking that look up, up because I, I wrote $10,000 in 1985 equals... I wrote $10,000 in 1985 is, <laughs> and then I left a blank space for me to write Exactly. Yeah. I love that money is so important to us whenever we do these things that we have to track <laughs> down how much it would be now. Yes. Like it we was, talked in LA Confidential about how, like, would you accept $500 to turn in, like... I don't know Orlando Bloom. <laughs> sure, as a as a criminal uh, or something. I don't I, know. No. Uh, I was like, what? If he was Can a violent offender, more? no drugs. No, probably not. As long as you're not hurting anyone else, I don't care what you're doing. 
Um, but yeah, so I still, for $24,000, I wouldn't kill people. Two people. Do you think that this was the first time the PI was going to kill someone for money? I think... No. Maybe it was the first time it was planned. Do you think that it was made a little easier on the PI to be like, instead of killing two people who I don't know are bad for $10,000, I'll kill one person who I know is an asshole for that much and everything in his safe? I don't think he was equating... I don't think he was including morality of his victims in the equation at all. I think he was just... I know he has a lot of cash in his safe, and I can kill him and blame someone else for it. But I was just wondering if that's something he'd done before, or if he just saw an opportunity. Okay, I had a little bit of a question about his... I don't think that the detective was all that smart, because think about his mindset. P.I. He wanted to... Yes, the the P.I., not an actual yeah. detective. He wanted to frame the wife for the murder of Marty. Mm-hmm. Wanted to frame Abby. But then, later on, he came back in and tried to stage it as a break-in? No, I think he was trying to get in and uh, get his lighter. He needed the picture back, too. Yeah. Remember? I didn't didn't know he knew that was not there. uh, Because there was an employee's must-watch hand sign in the dossier that he got back. Oh, okay. I'm just getting that. You know what's interesting, too? Is the PI didn't have his lighter to light a cigarette, but he did have something with which to light the pictures on fire. Oh, another lighter. <laughs> then why wouldn't glass. he use the lighter to light a cigarette? Because he's probably looking for his cool special lighter that has his, his name written yeah, on it. Yeah, special lighter. Yeah, we've been calling him the PI. Is his name Lauren? Yes. His name is Lauren V-something, v- v- and... Whenever you read descriptions of the movie, they use the V, his last name, but it's never talked about in the movie, so I don't want to yeah. use it. And I the actor's it name is M. Emmett Walsh, and I have grown to like that man. Hmm. He does a lot of... He's been in a lot of stuff. Like, he really has. 200 plus IMDb credits. Was he ever in James Bond? No, I, I think you're confusing him for Goldfinger. No, I'm not. He looked familiar, which is why I looked him up and I found him in Knives Out, but he was not in a Bond movie. His voice sounded familiar, too, and he has done a lot of voice work, so he might have been a voice in something you've seen. He was in Adventure Time. He was an owl. I think there there was that one... What? I'm going to look this one up. (laughs) Which owl? (laughs) I need to know which owl in Adventure Time. Yeah, I got to know. I may, he made there more think than of that one? one sheriff. I'm thinking the... He does remind you of J.W. Pepper. The owl who hangs out with Prismo? Is that what I'm thinking? I'm looking him up. He did remind me of the sheriff in James Bond. The one in, like, the really stupid ones that, like, where there's, like, the penny whistle Pepper. or, like, the little whistle that when yeah, the yeah. car jumps Something the called Cosmic Owl? Yes, the Cosmic Owl. <laughs> yeah, that's him. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Right. He was also Jeb in uh, What's New Scooby-Doo's Scooby-Doo Christmas. Oh, wow. Cool. Good for Jeb. He was also in The X-Files. Wait, I wonder wait, if that's... Huh? We can't go through his whole credits. 
I'm gonna go through his whole credits. He was also in the Civil War as various. He was in the Civil War? (laughs) Wow, he looks great for his age. Um, okay. Anyone have anything major before we go through minor notes? I don't think so. I'm good. No. Okay, I'll just start with mine. One thing I thought was cool, or I hated, sorry. I'll start with something I hated. <laughs> it was really cool. This is cool. really cool. No, Actually, I no, hated I hated it. it. <laughs> I hated, in the very beginning of the movie, I thought it was cool that they had the windshield wiper kind of wipe away the titles, but you couldn't see through the windshield and he should not have been driving because it was very dangerous. He, they I needed the new windshield wipers, wipers were cool because they like went along with the music. Yeah. The and I get that, and obviously music and sound is important, but it bothered me. He definitely needed new wipers on that car because they were not clearing away the water at all. Right? Maybe they were um, 80s wipers, and back then they just didn't, and you had to <laughs> guess. I mean, probably. Um, I like that... I thought it was kind of cool that the PI blew smoke rings, and then I looked it up, and the actor could not blow smoke rings. He tried a bunch because he was asked about it, and then he just could have do it and so then the cohen's like it's fine we'll build a machine so they built a machine to blow smoke rings so that anytime it went away from the like it was the over the shoulder shot towards marty you could see the smoke rings but when you went back to the pi there wasn't but then the machine broke the day of and so they kept trying to fix it and fix it and finally one of them says it was a prop girl and another says it was a script girl so just some girl on set was like I grew up with four brothers smoking behind the barn. Just let me do it. And she, like, grabbed the cigars and blew perfect smoke rings. So she's the one doing the smoke rings. <laughs> but she had like to do it. it. She had to do it so much that she ended up getting sick later. <laughs> she had smoked too much c- cigars in a very short amount of time. I hope she got, like, a nice credit for that. I know. I was like, come on. Um, I liked Deborah, the girl at the bar, because she told Marty to fuck off, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I appreciated that. He was a huge creep right there. Yeah. yeah I didn't. I liked. I don't know. Marty had a lot of weird taxidermy in his house, <laughs> including one of those horn chairs that I saw. I've seen at like Greenfield Village that are like made out of horns, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the bug zapper being in that scene. It really lit that guy's face really well. And that the bugs dying offered weird punctuation to his words. That was cool. Yeah. Um, oh, and then the last thing I have to talk about, really, I forgot to mention, is the, like, couple... So, the Coens put in some really smooth, cool transitions, because they knew it made your movie look more expensive. <clears throat> so, the thing with the finger going down to press a button and then going into the blood in the car, that transitioned from one scene to another. <clears throat> and then the one of Abby looking around the crime scene and then falling back onto her bed thinking about it. Those were done practically, and they were put in just to, like, make it look cool. Because they knew that, like, it was, like, a way to do special effects, these smooth transitions, but... It worked. um, It was cool. Yeah. I was like, yeah, man, it definitely looked more expensive. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's the last of my weird notes. Carrie, what do you got? I think pretty much just... uh, Now that there are less people who smoke cigarettes, I'm wondering if there are less opportunities to catch people via DNA from cigarette butts. Well, yeah. Because even if they smoke still, they're probably vaping. But you don't leave your vape behind every time you use it. Right. There's, I mean, 
I think people are less blasé about leaving cigarette butts. I mean, somewhat less blasé. You still see them on the street <laughs> all the time, which is super gross. But the way the PI just kind of like stubbed one out on the guy's desk, like I don't think you leave them behind like that anymore. But yeah. I'm hoping that Hopefully people not. are a little bit more conscientious of leaving whatever cigarette butts they have lying around. I think that, like, there's probably more opportunity. There's probably more places to put your cigarette butts now, too. Like, yeah. I don't even know if there's less smoking in general. I'm sure there is, comparatively. But also, there's probably more ashtrays that are out behind do- by doors and stuff, especially now that you can't smoke inside a lot of the places. Yeah. So there's... There, you wouldn't be abandoning your cigarette butts around. Just much. willy-nilly. Yeah. yeah. That was my only thought. Maddie, what do you got? Um, I've got... Julian is the worst. Maurice is the best. And... <laughs> um. But I kind of maybe revised my opinion on Maurice, but um, he was very cool. Uh, Yeah. His music was the best, and he saved, or well, he helped that girl avoid Julian. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I said, finally a successful ball kick. That was very satisfying. (laughs) and they say anal a lot. Yeah, I didn't get what that whole thing was supposed to represent, like, that discussion. Like, it seemed, it's a very specific word choice. Was Julian threatening to shoot them in the buttholes? <laughs> I was thinking, are they trying to say Julian's gay? <laughs> like, yeah, like, not you know, at, some... like, that's not what I think anything was about but there's some subtext there that relates to 1985 that i feel like we're just not getting or maybe it's just something they used a lot back then to describe someone who's like controlling oh wait isn't there a greek stereotype that they yeah that what no i have no idea what you're talking about get out of here Um, are you talking about ancient greeks Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> okay, no. That's not a thing. And um, yeah, anyway, we didn't talk yeah. about how awesome Maurice is at all. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm on board with that. Maybe because he is such a, like, he's like a good character and everyone else in here is kind of like, Bleh. so there's more fodder for discussion, but Maurice, solid guy. I liked him. The yeah, one normal man like, in this hey, entire thing. Ray, get out of town because... You're being hella suspicious, and also stop smoking. Those are coffin nails. And yeah, except that, that he but then he stole it. And then he smoked it himself, and it was oh, super I didn't even racist see that. that Marty was setting oh, him up Maurice. for. Uh, it was super racist that Marty was setting him up for uh, being the scapegoat for the missing ten thousand. Oh, oh yeah. No. Oh yeah. That's why Julian is the worst, or whatever. Marty is the worst. More, uh, Maurice is the best. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Hell yeah. You know what I found interesting that what? I didn't mention earlier? So when this movie came out on VHS, they couldn't get the rights to the same old song by the Four Tops. Oh no. I was wondering about oh, that. Oh no. So in the VHS copy that a lot of people grew up with in the 80s and 90s, it was Neil Diamond's I'm a Believer. What? So, what? but then, then when they re-released it, they re-released the director's cut in 2001. 
which is actually three minutes shorter, which never happens when a director's cut is a thing. But the Coens were like, we just wanted to tighten up the story because they felt that there was a lot of editing that could shave off some time and moments. So they re-released it with the Motown song back in, like the Four Top song back in, and a little bit shorter. And that's the version we all saw. But if you find an old VHS, it definitely still has Neil Diamond on it. That's (laughs) a completely different vibe. Right? (laughs) One one of my notes is about they only paid for a same old song, I guess, because they played it like six times. So (laughs) maybe give some background. Like they were so happy about having it. They just kept playing it. Well, I think it was put in because some of the lyrics are like, it's the same old song, but nothing's changed since you've been gone or something like like You're sweet like a honeybee. It's like supposed to be sings. like, have different meanings in different p- points of the movie, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know that they, they use music in weird ways. Um, yeah. Now I really want to add Lebowski to the list. <laughs> no. No. I won't. Stop right there. Go ahead. Uh, can I at least mention the time I went to the Lebowski themed bar in Edinburgh and it was awesome and you could get they had a whole menu of different types of white Russians. You just did. And they just played the movie <laughs> over and over and it was rad. The end. <laughs> well, rad. it's nice to know that there's an alcoholic version of Bubba Gump out there. All right. So, um my, I'm uh, done with my notes. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Everyone just decided to springboard off of my love of Maurice. Um most of mine was, uh, a lot of mine was like, what a fool, what a fool, dumb, oh better, no dumb, more dumb. <laughs> Betty, <laughs> I was so, literally my time, notes are the same. The whole time that Ray was doing everything, and I'm like, you're leaving like a perfect trail back to yourself. Like, if police did investigate this, they're like, oh, this guy died. What do we look at first? Wife. Oh, was there a lover? Yes. And then they are. Did the, the wife ones... had a gun? Yeah. Are animals involved? Like we get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Also, him burying uh, Marty alive is pretty cold. Yeah. yeah. That's a and that's what the cops are going to know. They're going to see good. dirt in his lungs. Yeah. Also, it's not that shallow. I mean, deep. Yeah. Like, it's not inconceivable. I feel like he like, could have gotten way out. out. Yeah. I mean, he survived that long. Honestly, when we heard his voice on the voicemail thing, I thought he might have. And I was like, why is yeah. he calling and leaving a voicemail <laughs> yes. like that? And when she was I having thought, that dream, I thought he was alive again. Yeah. I know. At first I was like, he's alive. And then I was like, he's got no dirt on him. So it's got to be a dream because the Coens love dreams. Yeah. 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 Um. Also, but. speaking of, that apartment is sweet. I would so love to live there. Yeah. Where's her kitchen, though? What? Good question. I didn't think about that until literally just now. She doesn't have. She has like that beautiful like loft brick space what's, with the windows and the bathroom, but there's no kitchen. What's the room next to the bathroom? Is that might be the kitchen? But she doesn't have a doorway there. Yeah, it's like sh- that's a different apartment. Well, no, because he reached around to the window and then she stabbed him. So she was clearly in the room that was next to the bathroom. But when she was in that room, she had to leave the apartment, go down the hallway and come back into her apartment. Oh, yeah. I, I think Maybe that. this is one of those weird apartment complexes where you get your own bathroom, but it's a communal kitchen. 
Yeah. Like, she had to climb out the window into the other window to get into that space. Yeah. Yeah. It is a loft place, so they they might have had their own kitchen room room space. Other than it not having a kitchen, it's a great place to live. I don't think I would like that much light. I mean, I would definitely hang up some curtains. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I feel like it would it would freak me out. It kind of reminded me of the apartment in When Harry Met Sally, when he moves into that place and they're like laying out the rug because it's got the same like big giant windows. I don't. <laughs> anyway, um, and then my last note is just: Did the bar close for days while uh, like because nothing was discovered for a very long time? And nothing was not discovered yet. They yeah. mentioned that the bar had been closed two nights at least in a row. Because remember, Marty called, um, Marty called Maurice. Maurice and was like, "I'm not saying you did it, but there's ten thousand missing from the lab. Blah, blah, blah. Um, the bar's going to be closed again tonight. I'm still taking care of business or whatever." Oh, no, I so didn't I know think that. I they. Realize. I think he had just closed. Maybe he closed the bar because he was supposed to be in Corpus Christi or something. I don't know. Maybe. Why he exactly closed it. Maybe he didn't want anyone to see the P.I. coming in. Like, who knows? That answers that question. Okay, I'm done. Mac, you're up. All right, I got three notes. Uh, First note, M. Emmett Walsh was also in the Scorpion King 4 Quest for Power as Gorak. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's where I knew him from! No. All right. Uh, Second note. um, So, the private detective... He's almost kind of painted as a sneaky guy, like he can walk into people's homes and rifle through things without them knowing. And I have to say, that's not a, I, there's not a lot of inherent stealth with that guy being in a yellow cowboy outfit with a white hat. And a bug. And having a bug. And How bug. obvious are you? And uh, my third thing, so Marty's office, when the detectives eventually find it, is going to have rotting fish, spoiled milk, and rotten blood. That is going to be the worst smelling room anybody finds. I was thinking yeah. that room probably smelled pretty bad like the three times everyone was <laughs> returning to it and not doing anything about those dead fish. I know, those fish were or so the milk. gross. They were gross like, when they were fresh. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. one of the interesting character choices or the Coens did of like, they never talked about it, but Marty is clearly shown to have stomach problems and like, is always drinking milk, and there's, like, a bunch of antacids on his desk. He's yeah. always vomiting. Wow, yeah. yeah. And he's vomiting. Every time he gets kicked in the balls, but... Um, I got a great fact about that. Yes. So, this, do you know this, Carrie? No. The cinematographer is Barry Sonnefeld, or Sonnefield, who's, like, a famous director, and he ended up doing a couple more Cohen things before he eventually directed things like The Addams Family and um, Men in Black. Like, he's done a lot of stuff like that. But I was looking at the credits. I was watching it through Amazon Prime on my tablet, and I tapped it to look at the cast because I wanted to see um, what else M. Emmett Walsh had been in. And Barry Sonnefeld is credited as Marty Vomiting. <laughs> so I don't know if he made the noises for it. And, like, that's what they used. Ew. But it's, like, one of the credits of the movie, and I thought that was really weird and gross. That is weird and gross. Like, why would that be a credit, but then maybe it's just, like, a weird fun fact? I don't know. Um, I think I predicted us watching this 
movie because as I was watching it, I was I had some weird deja vu of our discussion, but it was like a slightly different. Dis- like maybe it was just like a, a different part of what we had talked about. But there was when Ray was cleaning up the scene. I remember talking about how he shouldn't touch anything. Weird. Well, he shouldn't weird. touch anything. No, he should not. I mean, touch no. Anything. But it was it was every weird. time someone walked into that bar, they should have called the police. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but like, I feel like I had a dream about us watching this movie and talking about it without ever having seen this movie or talked about it. That's weird. weird. I know, and I think maybe I, I talked about it in an old episode. So now I feel like I have to listen to them all and find it. She's a witch. I'm Burner. A witch. I'm not a witch. I'm trying to dip her else. in the river. Yeah, tie up her limbs and better. see if she floats. <laughs> No, don't do that. She turned me into a newt. A newt? Um, I kind of think we already know the PBS is going to be bad. Yeah. Well, to be fair. It, two? That's four to three. It's not terrible. Three? Who's the third woman? Her landlady, oh, Miss yeah. Garcia. Huh. Who had a name and lines. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it wasn't... It was definitely more dialogue from dudes, obviously. Yeah. Which I do think that's something we should think about. I was thinking about that yesterday, because I was like, just because there might be more women in something doesn't also mean that they have more dialogue. If that's something and you want to take the time I'm to not look taking up. that on. <laughs> I'm not going to look up the ratio of dialogue. In, yeah. In I feel but, like we've already kind of made you do this part. Yeah, there's a lot of counting and uh, re- like trying to remember when I was trying to do LA Confidential, I was like, wait, has this guy sp- spoken before? Is this some random cop we've seen? I don't know who what's going on. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, if, if if you ever felt like looking at percentages of speaking time, feel free, but no one's going to um, expect that from you. I do not, know. But yeah. So that was the PBS. It wasn't terrible, but definitely a dude having a movie and dudes talking about the women and the one woman and really not. A lot of dude stuff. Yeah. It's a lot of dudes doing like, dudes. and obviously, like this she definitely cheated on her husband, but he's not a good guy, and maybe I think she basically was leaving him. That's why Ray was driving her somewhere. Yes, yeah. she was literally leaving him. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if Marty one hundred percent knew that <laughs> right away. He would have figured I mean, it he out. Definitely, he definitely thought she was cheating because he had theories. Yeah, but, but she wasn't until she was leaving him. So that's probably yeah. why she was leaving him is because she was he was driving her crazy. All the stupid he was being theories. anal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um. Anything else we want to mention before we wrap it up? Stabs. Oh yeah. Okay. I feel as a mystery, it's a zero. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah, that's mine. That's are we all pretty much? <laughs> There's just no oh, mystery. Like we kind of know. Abby eventually figures out what happens. Does she ever know? How? The one person yeah, that buried it. Marty. And... I guess she would. She would. So if Marty was shot with her gun and they prove it, then she would know that some. Well, then she would probably just assume that Ray shot Marty. But the he police says, will like, just assume that she shot Marty. He says that stuff about how she shouldn't leave her weapon behind. But then, so the weapon comes back to her. She probably assumes Ray took it, shot Marty, and came back. She'd probably just be really confused about the PI and try and, and try and 
fit him into it. Does he have... What happened to the picture of them... Like, the doctored picture of them dead? Oh. It's somewhere. He left it on the desk. With the lighter. So then there would be evidence showing the doctored photo and the lighter at the bar. So I guess they could tie the PI to the bar. Yeah, I mean, where's the cash, too? Ooh, probably definitely with the PI. So a competent investigator could probably put it together, especially if they believe Abby when she says, I did not shoot my husband, Mm -hmm. even though that's my gun. But I think an incompetent police work would definitely just throw her behind bars and just maybe say the PI was there to, who knows, wrap up. What should we expect in rural Texas in 85? You can't just make generalized assumptions, but I guess I don't have an overwhelming amount of confidence. Because so they probably said... would assume that Ray and her did it together. Because mm-hmm. the blood is in Ray's car. Yeah, there is that. So you said zero for the mystery, Katie? Zero for the mystery. As a movie, with like full knowing that I do enjoy like some Coen Brothers stuff, probably give it like a seven there were definitely moments that felt a little long and maybe because i'm you know in modern day and things are supposed to be like i'm glad it was an hour and a half movie yeah i feel like that was an appropriate length for that but yeah carrie what about you stabs uh mystery i would give it at least one stab because you're not sure that marty's alive until he makes noises um, what? Nothing. I'm not That's gonna question. Noise. I'm not gonna question your uh, My stabbing. Stabbing. Sorry. Okay. I was yeah. So made noise. Um. Yeah. So one stab for that, and then I think as a movie, I'd agree with Katie seven. Manny, what about you? I was kind of. Thinking the same thing. No, maybe I'll go with six uh, stars, zero stabs. Because I think it did feel kind of... I don't know. Just six stabs, that's it. Stop asking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Mac, what about you? Zero stabs, six stars. I meant stars, not stabs. Okay. So, I probably wouldn't watch it again, maybe... I wouldn't hate to watch it again, because it does have a lot of tension, but it wouldn't be on my top of my list. All right, so coming up next, we're going to watch an actual noir, and not just something that's called that, because they didn't know what else to call it. <laughs> um, we're watching 1941's The Maltese Falcon, starring Humphrey Bogart. Very exciting. Um, so we'll have that discussion next time. If you want, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Mostly Murder Pod. You can visit our website, Mostly Murder at Sometimes... No. Mostly Murder, (laughs) but Sometimes Not... The moonshine is hitting me, guys. Okay. Mostly Murder, but Sometimes Not dot com. You can send us any questions, comments, concerns. Mostly Murder, but Sometimes Not at gmail dot com. And, yeah. So, follow us and listen to more of our podcast and Yay. 
Yeah. And yay. So. And thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening. And. And yay. We'll... And thanks. And bye. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>